You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello again, everybody. Your Thursday episode of the show here, your host, Jeff Lloyd. We're going to continue with crossover week as we put the Cincinnati Bengals under the lens. So obviously uh, this episode, and you'll be led by Jake Liskow and James Rapian. Uh, the two gentlemen do a fantastic job covering uh, the Bengals for us on Locked On Bengals. Chris Carter, Kevin Ostreicher, and myself uh, obviously joining along here as we continue with the roundtable on crossover week. Tonight, today will be your Bengals featured episode, um, but obviously we do have you know some news to get to. Uh, the Miles Garrett contract extension is official: five years, 125 million dollars. Currently, the highest-paid defensive player in the entire NFL. Um, the Browns, obviously, and everybody knows, over the past 10 years, you haven't had a first pick resign or stay here to start to hit on picks of this nature. This is, you know, hopefully what turns an organization around. Um, and it probably started with Miles and his early success and continued success in him speaking uh, with the media today um, and in typical Miles fashion. Um, you know, now he wants to prove that he is worthy of this contract. Show everybody he is the top dog. You know, vowing to be not only the player he's been to this point, but how he would like to be an even better player. Um, and speaking about being one uh, the first first round pick in years to sign an extension with the Cleveland Browns, Miles quote the turning uh, the turning around of here in Cleveland. Young talent all over the on the board with us. I feel like I'm starting this thing off. Um, and there is the, the talent pool is a lot deeper and for where this franchise is hopefully headed miles is one of the key components to all of that um, leader by example um, fantastic within the community embraces the city um, you know this could have been a long drawn out process where miles just you know fought for money fought for money and it truly wasn't. You know, he's he's happy here. You know, a lot of other players in the past have done anything they could to get out of Cleveland as fast as possible. Miles has embraced himself, has embraced this city, ingratiated himself in this community, and done a fantastic job as far as representing the Cleveland Browns on and off the field. Spoke a little bit about obviously, you know, the Thursday night incident against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, basically would like for it to be known now as a bump in the road as far as, you know, when people speak of Miles Garrett, they want to speak about everything else, not just that one terrible night where Miles lost his cool and acted in a way, obviously, you know, that he wasn't thrilled with, the league wasn't thrilled with, nobody was thrilled with. Um, so congratulations, obviously, to Miles Garrett, five years, $125 million extension, fantastic player, fantastic person. These are the type of guys that franchises are built around. Also yesterday, uh, and now completing the rookie signings, Grant Delpit is now under contract. Um, you know, I was a huge fan of Grant Delpit during the, the draft process. And if you remember the draft episodes, I, I didn't think there was going to be a possibility the Browns would ever see him. They were going to go offensive tackle at 10. I thought for sure Grant Delpit was going to be a first round selection. That never came to pass. Um, you know, some people dropped him. You know, for a bad stretch of play, his final year at LSU, um, his play, once he got healthier, rebounded. Um, Grant Delpit, you're talking about probably a really, really solid candidate for Defensive Rookie of the Year this year. Um, 
excels around the line of scrimmage, can play more of the tra uh, traditional free safety role here. This is a great player brought in here, and you, you add it with players like Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, Sheldon Richardson, Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, and you bring in yet another known commodity on the defensive side of the ball in a player of Grant Delpit's ilk. So congratulations on the contract, Grant Delpit. Obviously the extension, Miles Garrett. Uh, we'll take a quick break here, and then we will move on over to the Bengals under the microscope as we continue the crossover week with the focus on the Cincinnati Bengals. All this unlocked on Browns. Whether it's iTunes, whether it's Spotify, uh, now's a great time to go ahead and subscribe. Um, make sure you're leaving those ratings and the five-star reviews for me. Thank you all so much. The Cincinnati Bengals rounding out our little thing that we've been doing with all of our hosts here for our AFC Divisional crossover. And, and this is a team that I think is really well set up for the future. I don't know if 2020 is going to be their year, though. Obviously, the top overall pick in the 2020 draft in Joe Burrow. Literally the best season in college football history, in my opinion. And, you know, you can't get much better than that when you're looking for a guy to take to be the future of your franchise. Now, someone who I'm looking at as an X factor for this team is Joe Mixon, someone who had a really strong 2019, right? 1,137 yards and five scores on the ground. But actually, where I'm impressed with Cincinnati and their depth is in their receiving core. They, AJ Green wasn't enough, right? He's coming back healthy. He should be a big boost. Tyler Boyd had 1,000 yards last season. You have guys like Auden Tate, whose coming out party was against the Ravens. But you also then add in T. Higgins to a room that also includes John Ross. I mean, so many guys that you have in this receiving room. And, you know, you want to surround your rookie quarterback with some talent, you know, some guys to catch the football. Well, I think they've done just that. Now, Tyler Eifert, had he stayed healthy, could have been a good guy for them. Obviously, he's gone in Jacksonville. But this offense is, it might surprise some people in 2020 because, you know, for me, the Bengals, they can't go anywhere but up for me. The defense, they added a former Raven in Josh Bynes, but they actually you know their off season their free agency usually the Bengals are kind of regarded as a team that doesn't really do a lot when it comes to free agency and it was that way for the beginning of this free agency period in 2020 it was kind of you know the the Patrick poking the stick at a rock saying you know do something but finally the Bengals get out there and they really spend a lot of money they go out and get one of the best nose tackles in DJ Reader Trey Waynes they signed to a big deal you know franchise tagging AJ Green but my question for you you, Jake, and, and I'll take it back to the free agency signings. There are two contracts that I'm very interested in. One of them is the addition of Josh Bynes and his, his fit in this Cincinnati defense. He played very, very well for Baltimore after he was signed literally off the street. And it was after that Cleveland game in week four that Baltimore said, we need to change. How does Josh Bynes fit in there on that defense? And also the decision to give Trey Waynes, who was not officially signed yet, he's made that pretty public, a three-year, $42 million contract, the same deal that Marcus Peters, who performed very well for Baltimore, got from the Ravens. How did you like that deal? So my two questions are for Josh Bynes and Trey Waynes. Yeah, let's start with Josh Bynes. He's a guy that last year when the Ravens signed him, I didn't pay any attention to it, right? And then suddenly the Ravens defense started playing better and was uh, finished the year as a pretty good unit. At the beginning of the year, the Ravens defense wasn't very good. And I think I did want, maybe I didn't do any of the crossovers, but leading into one of the Baltimore games last year, I said, you know who's made a difference for Baltimore? And obviously they acquired Marcus Peters as well, but I thought Josh Bynes, that, that, that signaled a big turning point. 
and maybe it's other, you know, multiple incidences coming together at one time. The cumulative effect is a, a positive impact. But that's what the Bengals are looking for from from Josh Mines' stability. They signed him before they go draft three linebackers, right? Before they go use their third, fourth, and sixth, no, sorry, seventh round pick on three different linebackers, by the way, correctly mocked Logan Wilson to the Bengals in the third round. Everyone saw that coming. I'll pat myself on the back for that one. And then I thought Akeem Davis Gaither was off the table. He ends up a Bengal anyway. So there are your linebackers of the future. But what they're looking for from Bynes is a veteran presence, the leadership, the run stopping, the tackling, and just knowing how to play adequate NFL linebacker. The Bengals haven't had adequate NFL linebacker in years. And Bengals fans listening right now are going to say, what about Vontez Perfect? Yeah, there were times that Vontez Perfect was a very good NFL linebacker, but he also got in trouble with penalties that hurt the team quite a bit. And toward the end of his career in Cincinnati, he was really freelancing quite a bit, doing whatever the hell he wanted to do. The other guy you asked about is Trey Waynes, and I agree with you or, or the implication of your question. It's not a good deal. They paid him a little bit too much. Well, maybe a lot too much money. That money could have been used a little bit better elsewhere. You compare his deal, actually what I've done, you make a good point with Marcus Peters, is you compare his deal to what Byron Jones got in Miami. It's only a couple more million dollars a year for a player that has was much more sought after, has a much better track record. So Trey Waynes comes in and is essentially going to be asked to be a better version of Drake Kirkpatrick. He should tackle better. He's faster, but he's similarly stiff. He's similarly a little bit handsy. He's, he's younger. So there are some specific things he does better than Dre. He brings a speed that should help a little bit with keeping things in front of him, and he tackles. And that's the theme of the Bengals' offseason is tackling. DJ Reader coming in to help the front seven. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander, right, to play the slot. Uh, another guy that's a really strong run defender to replace Darquez Denard. And Trey Wayne's another guy who was – he likes to hit, and you don't find that very often in the secondary. So specific things. They upgraded with those players while maybe side grading in some ways overall with Trey Waynes. So I wanted to ask a question about the offensive line, because when it comes to the Bengals last year in facing the Steelers, they gave up 12 sacks over two games. Now, granted, you know, there was there, there's a lot of going on that they were they were in shambles in a lot of ways. But now you've got Joe Burrow. Uh, you got Jonah Williams c- coming back, presumably. Um where do you th- see the offensive line heading into this season? Because you, you, having having Joe Burrow is exciting. Everyone's everyone everyone's want what you know wants to see what he's got. But if he's under constant pressure, there's going to be a lot of questions as how 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 is he going to take on the NFL and how fast the game starts moving for him. Not even just with the Steelers, but you know like like what we've been talking about. You got Miles Garrett with the Browns. You've got. Uh, Calais Campbell now with the Ravens. There's going to be guys coming down, uh, coming down, uh, you know, in the pass rush. And you know, I got to ask, where do you think the Bengals have been fortifying, and are they going to be ready off- for an offensive line to protect uh, Burrow throughout the season? It's where they failed this off season. It, it, it's a failure. What, what they've done, and look, the coaching staff will defend it, and the Bengals front office feels better about it. But the reality is, is they have question marks all across their projected starting offensive line. It's just, it's the reality. Jonah Williams, a guy they picked 11th overall last year, they feel really, really good about him. He hasn't even played in a training camp. 
heck, not even an NFL game. He hasn't even went through a, an entire training camp because he got injured in minicamp last year. So now you're expecting him to be a franchise left tackle against some of those guys you named and protect protect, uh, protect Joe Burrow's blindside. It's, it's a tough ask for a guy like Jonah. And then uh, you move to that left guard position and Michael Jordan, and, and he's a, a fourth-round pick from last season. And, and they liked what he developed into, and he's a young guy, and they, they feel good about where he's moving but he's still unproven. So it's just, it's another question mark. And that's what it is across the, the offensive line from Xavier Suofilo, who couldn't start in Dallas. They sign him. They feel really good about him. Now he's suddenly uh, potentially going to be the starting right guard. And and then you got the, the right tackle position. And we all know what Bobby Hart is. He's just a guy at best. Uh, Fred Johnson could compete with him. Same with Akeem Adeniji, a sixth round pick. But it's just a bunch of guys. And the Bengals coaching staff feels good about it. And I'm on board with maybe one question mark, right? Like banking on Jonah Williams to be the left tackle of the future and, and be good enough and competent in 2020. I'm I'm okay with banking on Michael Jordan to take a step forward. It's hard to see and expect Jonah Williams to be good, Michael Jordan to take a step forward, Xavier Suofilo to be better than he's been over the past six years of his NFL career, and then one of these guys at right tackle to emerge. So it's the fly in the ointment. It's the one thing that I wish, and you guys talked about that Trey Waynes deal, if they could have, instead of done that, taken those assets and saved on corner and put them towards the offensive line, and and heck, maybe between now and camp, I don't think it's going to happen, but maybe they go out and get someone, I would. You need another established veteran that isn't a question mark that can answer uh, the bell here up front for the Bengals. And, And if they don't do that, it's not just Joe Burrow. I think it's going to hurt Zach Taylor. I think it's going to hurt this offense. And it's uh, it's really going to make it tough to see what you have here because you have a, a lot of offensive weapons. You've upgraded the defense, but you're in a tough division. And if you can't block up front, it's it's going to be hard to, to see what Zach Taylor is as a play caller or what Burrow can evolve into as a quarterback. No, and I, I totally get where you're uh, coming from. And, uh, you know, obviously, James, with you know, why you were away, uh, you know, Jake and I, and uh, Jake and Joe and I talked about this. You know, when you were one of these franchises, whether it was the Browns and the Bengals, uh, on the toughest of times, even if you have the money, it's hard to convince people to come here. You've got to, you know, there's got to be some selling point. You got to pretty the place up before these guys come in. But Jake, I do have a question for you here, and I will go into this, guys. You know, we've talked about this. You know, whether it's the Browns with no hope and the Bengals, obviously with the rush rough stretch. Once you start to see that light you get reinvigorated and you get excited to see, you know, where this could potentially lead to. But I do have this question with offensive line concerns and maybe, you know, the, the state of the NFL and Doug Farrar put out a piece about this the other day, you know, where NFL defenses are paying nickel over 60% of the time. Dime is almost played more than base. I have no problem with Owen Wilson. I have no problem with Gaither. I have no problem with Marcus Bailey, but, how is this trending? I mean, you know, Jake, it's, you know, it's nickel dime is usually the predominant on the defensive side of the ball here in the NFL in 2020. Why three linebackers? I understand the linebacker play was poor and, you know, we all agree it was bad for a while there, but why the three, it it just seems like it was almost like, you know, maybe one too many, if not two too many in this era of football now where it's so nickel and dime prevalent. I was critical of the choice to take three linebackers as well. In fact, it was the thing that I was the most critical about in their draft, and I downgraded the pick of Akeem Davis-Gaither, who is a prospect I really liked. 
because yep, they I took remember. a second consecutive linebacker. I, I liked both. I liked two. I liked all three of the linebackers they picked. Taking Marcus Bailey in the seventh round is a guy that had second or third round tape, depending on who you ask, and had injuries. That's a lottery ticket. They did it last year with Rodney Anderson at running back. They didn't need a running back, but I love it. I love lottery tickets in the sixth, seventh round. It's great. Fine. Whatever. I, I think that the one saving grace here might be that I'm not sure if Hakeem Davis Gaither is really an NFL linebacker. I think they're going to use him in a lot of NFL linebacker linemen, but you go back and you watch him at Appalachian State, he's playing a position that doesn't exist in the NFL. He's playing this overhang linebacker position that is in alignment that just does not exist in the, in the NFL. So it'll be really interesting to me to see how they deploy Akeem Davis Gaither there was certainly a point when I would have liked to have seen them gone in another direction, uh, go offensive line a little bit earlier than the sixth round instead of Hakeem Adeniji, for example. But they didn't. And so uh, to your point, why did they do it? Honestly, it's a simple answer. And I think it's that they play in a division with Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore offense. And uh, they want to have the speed and the tackling and the run-stopping prowess to deal with it. And uh, that's just the, the reality they live in. And we'll see if that's too short-sighted. Coming up next, we're going to give James a minute to frame the Bengals' outlook in the division. And then we'll ask some questions in the other direction as we have all week. So stay tuned for the wrap-up for the AFC North Ultimate Division crossover. Let's keep things rolling here on the Locked On AFC North crossover. Final segment, fellas. Buckle up. Uh, just a, a second here on the Bengals because – I was pretty critical of the offensive line, and, and while um, it's it's easy to do that, and I think everyone is, and I think most fans are are pessimistic about the Bengals in the trenches. I'm pretty pleased with the, what they've done this off season. They they've shored up a lot of weaknesses on what was arguably the league's worst defense last year. Yeah, they might have paid overpaid for Trey Wayne's a bit. But they also got Von Bell at a, what I think is a, a pretty reasonable price. I think he's going to help the defense. DJ Reader, certainly a guy who should make an impact in the AFC North. And then I, I look at these weapons, and everyone knows if you're a Bengals fan that I'm still in the John Ross bandwagon and a healthy AJ Green and Ross together. They've only played nine games together. So I think if they can stay healthy this year, you combine that with Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, who a year from now, Jeff, don't even chime in here, might be the best running back in the AFC North. I think they have the weapons here. So if they can be competent up front, I feel like it's 2016 all over again. If the Bengals can be competent up front on the offensive line, I think they can be competitive with any of the teams in the division. It wouldn't shock me at all if they won six or seven games. Uh, it, it, the, the the two flies in the ointment are the offensive line to me, and then two, the coronavirus pandemic, which every team is dealing with, but not every team has the number one overall pick coming in at quarterback and, and uh, a bunch of turnover on the roster like the Bengals have. So those are the two negatives there, uh, and then obviously a tough division. Ke- Kevin, I'll start with you. Obviously, the the Ravens beat up on on the Bengals a lot last year. When you look at this revamped roster, do you think they do you think they could be competitive? Because I think they can be competitive with any of the teams in this division. Like it wouldn't shock me at all if they went into M&T Bank Stadium and either won or lost twenty to seventeen this fall. Do you think that's realistic, or do you think I'm insane? 
Well, I think you're a little of both, uh, and, and I'll explain why. I think for, for, the, for the most part, when you look at the Cincinnati team, the first game these two teams played in 2019, the Bengals actually gave them a little bit of a run for their money at first. And then you look forward and look ahead to the game where the Ravens went to Cincinnati. That game was a little more of, okay, the Ravens are a 7-2 and two team at that point. The Bengals are 0-9. You look at the Bengals' improvements, I, th- I think they did the right thing in spending this money throughout the offseason. Again, a team that relatively didn't spend a lot over the last few years. They improved, and you know, at the, at the forefront of that, I'm not looking at DJ Reader. I'm, I'm looking at Josh Bynes again. That's maybe a little Ravens bias there, but I think it really helped this defense. Where I think the Ravens are going to have the advantage over the Bengals, and what's really going to turn the tides of these games is two things, and, and they go pretty hand in hand. You know, we everybody on this episode has been pretty critical of the Bengals' offensive line. You know, that's the same thing that I'm looking at here. The Ravens did not have a very good pass rush in 2019. They did not have interior pressure whatsoever. It seemed like the Ravens had to send five or six guys to even get a glimpse of of the quarterback or get a glimpse of, you know, seeing the quarterback go down. The Bengals, you know, maybe Jonah Williams is the next big thing, but I, I think you made some good points in the fact that you're expecting him to be this franchise left tackle. You know, he didn't he hasn't done anything yet. The Ravens add Calais Campbell, they add Derek Wolf. Those are two Two guys who I think make a huge difference because not only are they very good at stopping the run, which is really important when there's a running back in Joe Mixon who's on the other side of the field. But when you look at, you know, the Ravens and their history with rookie quarterbacks, you know, Baker Mayfield has had some success against them. But, you know, they shut down Kyler Murray. They shut down Josh Allen. They shut down Sam Darnold. The rookie second year guys, the Ravens have a field day with those guys because their defensive scheme is so eloquent, so exotic. With the Ravens' new blitzing schemes and you know all the things they're going to do to make this defense really complicated for a rookie in Joe Burrow, him getting pressured by this Ravens defensive front is not going to make it any easier when you have a secondary with Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters and Jimmy Smith, Earl Thomas, Chuck Clark, you know, it's really a pick your poison thing. So I think the Bengals could theoretically be competitive with the Ravens, but I do think the Ravens win both of these games against Cincinnati. And I think it's relatively because of the offensive line is still a pretty big weakness for the Bengals at this point. So I know Joe Burrow's a rookie, but let's, you you didn't say his name once. So uh, let's go to Chris and, and the Bengals have had quarterbacks that have wilted against Pittsburgh for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. Carson had a few games, a few years where he handled Pittsburgh pretty well. I don't think Andy Dalton ever did. And I think that maybe some of that is because of what coincided with Andy Dalton's time in Cincinnati. That rivalry really came to a head in those years. And as I mentioned a couple days ago during the Pittsburgh episode, one thing I'm excited for this year is hopefully we get back to just football in this rivalry a little bit. Do you see Joe Burrow as a threat? Talk about how you feel as a division rival seeing Joe Burrow go to Cincinnati or do you not buy the hype? Do you think he still has a lot to prove? Do you, do you lean the other way, uh, leaning into the one-year wonder kind of arguments or what have you? Where do you fall? So I think that Joe Burrow can be very good if he has the system around him with the playmakers like we saw at LSU. What a lot of people are, are overlooking when talking about the hype of, of Joe Burrow and also when, when you know when uh, as Kevin alluded to that he had the best, maybe the, maybe the best college football season of all time, LSU's talent was just so far and above everyone else's at almost every position. I love their their offensive line, their wide receivers, their, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, their defense, everything about them was just I mean, they were the best team in football. And Joe Burrow was, was amazing with that. But 
And, and Joe Burrow, I think he admitted, I think he's only what lost like two games in the history of his life of anything in football. And I think that that, you know, that leads to like, you know, okay, this guy, this guy's confident. He believes in himself. I think that it, eventually Joe Burrow will get to that point. I am not so certain how he's going to handle when he has, when he is dock, ducking, dodging, dipping and diving and dodging again, when he's going to be dealing with pressure this year. And I do think that's going to be a problem. Um, I think that he's going to make plays this year. I think we're going to see really exciting moments from him, but I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not hiding in my closet from Joe Burrow just yet because I think that he's got he's going to have a lot of work to have to do to to build up that chemistry. I also really think it's unfortunate, like you were alluding to earlier, um, that he's not getting uh, the the rookie camp, the mini camp, the training camp to to get every to get as prepared as he can for this season and to get chemistry with his teammates. That's going to be a problem. But I will say this. Um, and uh, we do have to see it post Marvin Lewis era, but the Bengals have consistently over the past 10 years, 15 years, even 20 years, they've been the, they've been consistently the third best team in the division. It's been the Steelers and the Ravens back and forth. And then occasionally the Bengals poke their head up and make, make the playoffs and even win the division a couple times. You know, they're not the Browns who have, they have fewer wins at Heinz field than about 13 different high school football teams in Pittsburgh. Uh, but with the Bengals, it's like, I do think that there's a chance that they could get good again with Joe Burrow. Um, but, you know, I, I just right now to answer your question, no, I'm not terrified of him. But I mean, again, I, la- I love Tyler Boyd. I mean, he, he's from Clareton, you know, Western Pennsylvania lo- loves that dude. I've always had a lot of respect for A.J. Green. I really like Joe Mixon as a player. I, you know, I said coming out of college, even with the problems that he had with hitting women, um, I, I thought that was like if that guy gets into gets into a team with an offensive line or with a team that can that can just give him the ball and let him go, I think he's going to be dangerous. Uh, the, the, there's talent there. I just think that they're going to need an offensive line, time to gel, and maybe in another year or two, then we're talking about okay, it's Joe Burrow week. But right now, I honestly, I'm not I'm not too scared of Joe Burrow just yet uh, because I think he's he's going to have a serious adjustment period in 2020. I think there's a, it's almost realistic to think that a year from now you're thinking that because the the way Burrow manipulated the pocket at LSU, it's not like the LSU offensive line was great, right? I mean, there were plenty of times where Burrow had to step up and move around and use his athleticism. So that that is the other thing. Andy Dalton was a statue and couldn't move on the fly and anything like that. So over the past four years, he struggled behind this line. Uh, and now it should be a little better, at least, even though I trashed it earlier. Uh, and then you mix in Burrow. So I, I think I think they should make more big plays, uh, certainly this year uh, at Paul Brown Stadium. But uh, let's close things out with uh, the Battle of Ohio. And Jeff, uh, the, the thing that I love about this is in, I love Baker Mayfield coming out. I, I don't hide from that. And uh, he's a, an outspoken quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, goes number one overall, trying to do – uh, something no one's been able to do over the past couple decades and revitalize the Cleveland Browns. And then you have Joe Burrow, the Ohio kid, same thing. Number one pick, wins a national championship, Heisman Trophy winner. I think there's going to be a Baker-Burrow rivalry. I love that they're playing on Thursday night in week two. I think the Battle of Ohio for the first time in my lifetime, because it hasn't really been relevant since the 80s, I think it's going to be relevant, and I think it's going to matter in the 2020s. Um, well, the 2020 is going further and, um, you know, Chris, Kevin, we heard everything you said. Um, but I, I think what you look at with the Cincinnati Bengals and you look at with the Cleveland Browns, um, and the Browns, the draft class that was there for 2018, all the quarterbacks were available. It was, what are you going to put these kids into? And obviously with a lot of underclassmen and similar to Joe Burrow, you're taking in, 
you know, Joe Burrow's not a kid. He's a man going into the Cincinnati situation. Very similar to what Baker Mayfield was at to almost 23 years old. Joe Burrow the same way. The it's you know, look, I mean, we chose you because of this. We chose you because you're older. We chose you because you maybe understand the situation of our franchises, which, you know, aren't great. But look, you're going to get paid five years. You're going to get paid a boatload of money. And if these franchises achieve success, it's going to be bestowed upon you, Joe Burrow. It's going to be bestowed upon you, Baker Mayfield. You're putting them in tough situations. You know, because obviously when you get drafted one overall as a quarterback, you're not going to a plum situation. That does not happen. But it's the cut of the jib. It's the type of guys they are, you know. And, you know, Joe gives me, and I said it through the draft process, he gives me the modern-day Tony Romo where there's enough athleticism, there's enough smarts, and every now and then there's a throw. It's like, well, how did you even throw that? How would you even complete it? I, I do agree with you. Um, I think that there is a resurgence here in the AFC North with the reigning MVP down in Baltimore and Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow, to his credit, you know, Joe Burrow has never not tasted success. Baker Mayfield, you know, he was 7-7 seven and seven as a rookie, one overall, going to an 0-16 team. Neither one of these guys have not really ever felt success so how do you grad you know move forward here and grow in and establish yourself in this league and i believe they all have the follow me i'll put it on me if it's not me then guess what they'll replace me but i i think cincinnati's in great hands and look you're not going to replenish the entire farm in one off season although cincinnati did a fantastic job you know, Cleveland, hopefully they've righted the ship from leadership probably down more than anything else. You know, Baltimore is here to stay. We'll see, you know, what Pittsburgh's, you know, got left here in this party. But this division as a whole, and it's great that there's now seven playoff teams per conference because you, know, you look at the AFC East where Tom is now exited. Maybe that's only going to be one team. AFC West, obviously. The South, I mean, they're going to, you know, War contrition, but it, it feels like the playing field is starting is much more leveled out in the AFC North through where we were seven months ago to where we are now. I mean, some dominoes are going to have to fall for teams to succeed or for teams to fail, but I, I do believe the playing field on a whole is a lot more level than it was. Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot, and we're up against it. Burrow, Baker, next decade, who you taking? <laughs> I'll take six. <laughs> you hesitated. You he hesitated. You thought about the background. Only reason why, only reason why is the line should now be intact. And now let's see where, you know, let's just see where Joe's at after a year where, you know, TJ Watts coming unblocked and up in the year grill. I mean, I watched Chris Hubbard get abused by a guy like TJ Watt. Um, Bobby Hart, TJ Watt. Come on, guys. You can't be that confident. In Browns fans, did you hear him hesitate? You know the answer. Did you ever see Joe Burrow just, get hit and then win every game after he got hit? That one time that that ha- okay, we'll see if that happens. Show again. me seven. Show me seven and seven as a rookie. Show me seven and seven as a rookie. We're playing fourteen games. He didn't start the first two. We might we might play fourteen games. Who knows? I can show you six and one as a rookie. I can show because, you six and one as a rookie. Because Baker, I get it. All right, that's going to oh, do it for the lock on AFC. We're still here, Kevin. Baker went fourteen and zero as a rookie. I'm sorry. Did anyone do that? No, no, I don't think so. When was that? 
So that will conclude the Cincinnati Bengals under the microscope on the Locked On podcast crossover series here on Locked On Browns. Obviously, we got great thoughts from Jake Liskow and James Rapey and Chris Carter, Kevin Ostreicher, and myself, Jeff Lloyd, along for the ride. You know, sharing where we think the Cincinnati Bengals franchise is, you know, headed for the year 2020 and headed for the future. Hope you enjoy, all enjoyed as obviously we spoke about Miles Garrett's contract extension, Grant Delpit getting his contract done. All the Browns rookies are signed, ready to roll for camp. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.